Excellent. Well, when imagining the BBC that I would like to see manifest on our, our screens and through our radios, do you know what? I'm, I find I'm I'm kind of deeply drawn towards nostalgic emotions and mm. and I ask myself, when did I begin to feel nostalgia about the BBC and and also kind of why do I feel this way now? Now logic tells me that nostalgia is is, is created via the demise of of the subject. You know, the beloved thing must be no more. Mm. So following that logic, I guess the BBC that I knew must, must be dead, really. Maybe it's maybe it's simply my growing older and seeing the broadcasting era of my youth kind of give way to a new era. You know, that feeling of youth slipping away and and all the broadcasting that was that was the the soundtrack to my youth kind of fading into the past. Maybe that's enough on its own to bring about a derisory and, and cynical viewpoint. But I think that in terms of a dialectic approach to considering the, the worth of the BBC, it's only fair to ask myself what it meant when I did enjoy watching and listening and kind of why that was. So I've chosen two things that I, I liked about the BBC and I'd, I'd like to sort of sketch out the first one and, and then get your opinion, if I may. Yeah, that sounds good. OK. Well, the first one is I thought it brought to us a national conversation. I mean, to my mind, there's always been something very nationalistic about the BBC, you know, let alone its name. But from inside and outside of the UK, the BBC has been has been perceived as a, I'd say, a pillar of Britishness and like an overarching symbol of the nation's character. And the role of the role of such a, a binding media outlet, I reckon, has had its benefits in this way, which which is the way of okay, creating and sustaining a, a national conversation before the advent of the iPlayer, where we can now watch on demand, obviously, the, the national conversation regarding the, the programmes that the BBC put out was, was timetabled for us and and therefore kind of watched or, or listened to at the same time, you know, albeit in separate homes, but also together as a nation. So, you know, we episode by episode, the nation was in step, you know, soaps, comedy, drama, music, whatever, we, we could track the narratives together and this was an experience I thought was cohesive in, in the way that it was commonly shared, whether you're at work or down the pub, you know, whenever and wherever small talk was required, we could always kind of rely on last night's telly to relieve an awkward moment. And there's there's part of me that wonders if if the abatement of the the ready ability to be able to have a gas about last night's telly parallel to the rise of streaming and alternative media as how would I put it as um as like ruptured the membrane of the shared experience which which we all took for granted do, do you sense anything similar to what I've just outlined Seb yeah well that's that was very poetic but I agree from from an emotional point of view it re- having something like the BBC like a sort of home for people to check into right it mm. really it, I think it helps you know it's a crazy world we live in and it helps sort of alleviate anxiety kind of it it sort of reinforces this sense of belonging in the land you know in the land that you call your home and Mm -hmm. so knowing that everyone else is tuning in I think it kind of gives a sort of yeah I think that's why you feel those that nostalgia because it yeah like I said it alleviates um, alleviates the anxiety and kind of makes you 
makes you feel calm, makes you feel at home, makes you feel sort of bit part of something bigger than yourself. And, you know, comparing the BBC to, let's say, that being done with alternatives, with, let's say, a spring, you know, spread of different outlets, I don't think it's, it's ever going to be done quite as well as, as having that one place. Um, so I think, you know, I think from that perspective, certainly true. And, you know, you also think about those moments that really develop a, a nation's collective psyche. Right. So we all have, mm. you know, we all have they think it's all over, you know, from from the World Cup win. And if you didn't have one main home, one main centre for that, you wouldn't quite have those moments for connection. Um, so I think it helps. It helps craft a a national story. It helps. Yeah, it helps a sort of nation develop an identity and, and helps that sort of evolve over time when you have this shared thread of key moments. And obviously those key moments, the particular language that's used is really important, right? Language works on, you know, works on us in, in very peculiar ways. And so having, you know, BBC and ITV showing the same thing, but people having different words, you know, let's say the World Cup final, different words being used to describe, you know, to describe the big moments in that. You're not going to have that same emotional response um, and so, yeah, for, you know, for all these reasons, from an emotional perspective, it, I, re you know, I really see see the value that it had and and the, and the the sense of warmth that it gave in people's lives. Likewise, just in terms of connecting the nation, like if you go, you know, if you would go, it, this probably happened less back in the day, or I, I imagine it happened somewhat, but if you would go traveling and you'd meet English people abroad. Ha again having that shared anchor point something like the bbc where you watch the same chat shows and stuff like that it helps you connect with them it helps you identify with people in other parts of the country that you might not have reason to identify with otherwise yes. right or if you if you you know we're not even going traveling if, if you're you're london and you head up to leeds again it provides a sort of anchor point right everyone you know it's very you know when i have met people from around the you know around the country you get talking about football then naturally you get talking about match of the day right and yeah. again it creates this it creates this shared understanding it creates this this foundation for for building relationships which is obviously you know that's sort of the essence of a nate of a nation it's a bunch of you know implicit relationships yeah i think that's very well put and that yeah that that um that pretty much gets to the essence of of my feelings on a national conversation like you I, I lived in Spain for a while yeah. and uh, it was always on the telly hmm. you know out there in in the bars um, there was an actual there was actually a bar um, in in Mallorca called the only fools and horses bar and all they played was only fools and horses on loop and you know the, that's the, that's a, a big BBC Drama, uh, comedy drama from the past and look what it spawned yeah you know people up and down the country um, no matter if you, i know it was a london-based comedy but it, it definitely appealed to those up and down the country and the same with the same pet a bit earlier on that was lads from newcastle predominantly firstly in in germany and then in spain and once again it didn't really matter that there was a a bit of a north-south divide in the UK because these kind of things bound us together and, and they gave us 
very importantly, an insight. Be it, okay, it was a dramatic insight, but they gave us an insight into um, the, the the psyche of of um, our fellow countrymen. And England is and Britain is a strange place in the way that it's it's small and you can cross a border from 20 miles and you get a different accent mm. you know and there's a there's a, a deep sense of linguistic identity in the UK in the southeast that has dissipated somewhat where I'm from in Bedfordshire the rural Bedfordshire accent has nearly gone now and been and been first it was replaced by a London overspill accent and now it's been replaced by a, a different accent altogether where the youth use which is more of an urban an urbanite uh sort of pop culture influenced accent but uh, i think that it's celebrated it, the bbc in its heyday managed to celebrate these tenuous differences between us and, and, and point them out in a positive way yes yeah, it's, it's interesting to ask whether something like it, def, it definitely did that um now again one of the questions is i mean we can look sort of in a neutral way and just say was it a good thing right and if it was then maybe it's not worth digging into it too much but you know you can still ask the question of was it better than alternatives and stuff like that and if you consider the us would something like a bbc have been functional in the us now um i don't know that it would have because i think they have they had a much bigger divide I know we're very culturally different, like you mentioned all those linguistic nuances, but I think there's more of a sense of the national order here um, in the UK, whereas in the US you have the, you had the civil war and, and that has still kind of created a cultural dividing line and you have sort of different power structures within that. So um, I don't think, you know, whereas in the UK people might, you know, people, no one is sort of happy giving up power to, to to certain segments of society but there's more of a sense of an understanding of where you where you fit in the grand order of things right um so i think that helped the bbc function here that in that for better for worse it's a society where people kind of know their place right if you if you're if you are sort of from a mining town in the north you you, you know particularly after thatcher's you, you developed a, um, a resentment for people who are you know south of Watford um or mm. south or maybe you know something higher up than that but you still kind of knew where you still kind of felt part of something whereas I think there'd be too much of a rupture if they tried to do that in the US and um, if they tried to kind of weave everything together you know there's very different tales about how the, the narratives behind the the civil war and stuff like that mm. um so yeah I think that having a central home the uk was as a society kind of uniquely well set up to do that and i think they kind of reinforced one another but that point that you know that wartime point is an important one as well right um i think there's some stuff that i'd like to dig in around that later on but you know from the perspective of a world war going on and looking at that sense of i mentioned at the beginning that sort of providing a home making you feel calm alleviating that sense of anxiety having a central narrative a central story you know going through the world war giving mm. people somewhere to go back to get you know those famous dispatches and stuff like that i mean that's i imagine that's really where the bbc came into its own 
Um, you know, imagine that today with how, you know, imagine that with today with different views and if there were different channels giving slightly different narratives and stuff like that, it would just, it would kind of fracture that and it wouldn't create that, it wouldn't sort of create that sense of, it would, yeah, it would struggle to as effectively create um, that sense of, I guess, camaraderie and mutual understanding about what's going on and, and to, to build the morale up. Yeah. Well, this segues nicely into actually the second um, reason that I thought the BBC... um, Before you say that, actually, um, I've got kind of another angle about this question. I I think that the national conversation is important for that, from an emotional perspective, from that sense of belonging. But I think it's also important very practically in the sense that if you imagine we, you know, laws are, laws govern particular territories right and you imagine that we are all on this land we all need to abide by the same laws and the same customs right that's how you create a functional nation and that's how you move things away from sort of chaos and anarchy and the rest of it now how are people going to make sense of what a good law or what what a you know a relevant law looks like or what relevant customs look like if they don't have a shared understanding Right. So you need, I think, in order for a nation to be functional, you do need a sort of a consensus around the way the world is and and the way the world was. Um, Otherwise, you're not going to be able to you're not going to be able to create any sort of framework, any sort of legislative or cultural framework to actually to actually coexist. Mm. Um, So I think it's actually essential from a practical perspective you know like and and you and you then go to the you then follow that down to world war Two again and you need you know you need people on the same page otherwise it's just going to be otherwise you're going to lose the war yeah right? and and having one place again having one broadcaster which is the sort of the home for the british people does this very well and probably does it better than than alternatives um, will have than a spread would and also just a you know just the specific makeup of the BBC I and mean, from what I understand it you know it was publicly funded but private independently regulated right that's how they sort of am I right in saying that that's how they sort of reconciled I think so I'm not sure yeah um, so naturally they can focus on that order rather than just focusing on what's expedient what's profitable like like sort of more commercial entities would have with different incentives right um so i think it enabled them to do that um now there's there's a question around this which is so around this practical question around um it bringing a consensus is then whether that consensus is good for the people Right, whether the shared understanding is good for the people, because um, this is obviously important. Like that, given that it presents itself as neutral, then it, it sort of has to, it has to actually represent. You know, what it represents really deeply implants itself in people. Right, if people are like, oh, this is, I know this is partisan media, they sort of they engage with it from in a more analytical way. Right, whereas when something is seen as neutral your defenses are down and you just kind of internalize it more and so there is a question here about whether whether that consensus 
is good for the people, was good for the people. You consider we had a pretty good time here in Britain, you know, the 20th century, if you, you know, despite the wars and stuff, was, was you know, was relatively good. You compare how, you know, you compare that to other parts of the world. So I, I think I think we can get to some of this a bit later in terms of digging into this, but I think it's it's just worth kind of balancing that out, right? So it, it creates order, and you might say order is good than chaos, but that that order, that consensus, is that screwing the people over, right? Because if mm-hmm. it is, then obviously the BBC serves as a particularly you know particularly potent weapon to undermine the interests of the people, you know, in this very same way that it can help reinforce um, a kind of collective appreciation for the world and the rest of it. It can also, you know, in any kind of way that it works against the interest is, is you know, is, is equally as damaging, right? Yeah, and, it's, and I like the, the phrase um, potent weapon um, because uh, consensus can be weaponized, can't it? Well, yeah, exactly. I mean, you know, you look today and people all implicitly go well the bbc you know they're fair right so if the bbc is saying that are saying that you know covid is a terrible danger um then it probably is right because we trust them so obviously once you've gained people's trust that's a lot of that's a that's a power that you wield and you have to you know with great power comes great responsibility and whatnot right Mm. so you can kind of see how yeah and i think perhaps this is something to cover later but you can kind of see how it's a bit of a double-edged sword yeah yeah you can and well let me go on this second point because i think we're we i'll be kind of treading over what we've said in 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 the past little while and i was thinking about the function to to reflect the cross sections of british society that that the bbc should should have and I thought of it in terms of, of kind of the program makers should really be taking the temperature of the nation and then reflecting that back to us in, in whatever output it may be, drama, comedy, news, whatever. So the people, so we could see, we could see our streets and, and the people that live down them, you know, reflected back to us through the screen. As I was talking about with uh, Money Falls and Horses and Alvida's own pet, it was, it was a, uh, we were 100 miles apart, but we had a commonality there. Um, given to us via this programming and it's it's a role that i think that, that those at the bbc have have largely forgotten and they've, they've kind of swapped it out mm. for um you'd, well you can only say it's like preaching preaching the inclinations of a, of, of a section of society rather than the society in its entirety yeah it's like a, a narrowing of narrowing of this of the spectrum mm. and with these and now we've got copious viewing alternatives as well this is this is muted the the agility of the bbc and do you know what also the weirdest bit to me is if you were starting a national broadcasting network from scratch the last thing you would do is is alienate huge parts of your potential audience you know because the result notwithstanding that being bad business building practice in the first place the result is that the audience you were left with are catered for so precisely that any attempt at widening the spectrum again and trying to get those who are turned off into tuning in will unsettle your catered for base and that base will probably turn on you it'll probably accuse you of heresy yeah and then you have nothing it's almost as if 
the engine of the BBC to run efficiently requires this admixture of fuel that is, is drawn from all of us, is drawn from society as a whole. Do you see? Do you see what I'm getting at? Well, yeah, because the more people see it as a voice for their specific interest, the more they sort sort of start to feel an ownership of it, and then the more they the more sensitive they are to any deviations in that, right? Whereas if they always saw it as um, as something that provided more of a breadth of perspective, right? Then they wouldn't be then they would then they wouldn't have that same they wouldn't they probably wouldn't have that same reaction right so they're less likely to get pissed off is that is that what you're getting at yeah yeah i think that the bbc are not only in danger but they've they've not only in danger of falling into the trap but they are mostly in the trap of of, of that of that precise thing that that their spectrum is so narrow now yeah and the people within that spectrum f- feels ultra comfortable in there and hence it's theirs they feel ownership it's very precious to them Whereas I, I believe what, what it did have and what, what is preferable is for you to you to have a large audience that yeah. like that loves to hate you or, yeah. or likes some stuff bloody hates other stuff. Yeah. You know, and that is not that's certainly not to my mind what we've got now from from the BBC. Yeah. Yeah, well given the yeah, given the sort of funding structure of it, right? Um, you need a kind of you need a widespread of of people backing you right otherwise people just could ask for it to to go so yeah i mean it's it's not really serving you know in terms of its specific its narrow interests as an organization it's not necessarily serving this but it's interesting you know the point you make and it's very true that if you realize how narrow the worldview that they put across is now how and I don't know if that's a reflection of underlying dynamics, if there's sort of been a consolidation in the inputs, right? In terms of like, in terms of people being more, people being, people who go to university, perhaps they're being a more of a conformist. Cause I imagine most of their, even though they get them from around, they, they you know, they like to parade regional action, accents and stuff like that, but mm. they still obviously, their inputs are very much from the university system, I would imagine. And, Perhaps it's a reflection of the consolidation in the in the culture at universities, right? That what is fed back up to us is this very very narrow, yeah. Because it's not like they you know, you know they still talk about they still talk about a range of things. It's just the perspective is so narrow. They don't really they're so they're bed to a very specific understanding of the world, and that is kind of you know reinforced across the spectrum right even on bbc sport right they're still talking about you know they'll talk about black lives matter yeah um in the football stadiums and stuff like that and so that kind of permeates everything um and so is that a reflection you know is that just does this more just highlight a where society has gone and b expose the limitations that the bbc always had as an organization it does it certainly reflects where the society has gone because you have you mentioned sports for instance you now have people that commentate on on cricket and, and football that are not of the generation that you just described that have have gone through this uh, in, in university education which is very narrow 
they they have been working you know for many years they're in their 50s and 60s and now they're saying things at the at the top of cricket matches and football matches in a very somber voice like and now of course where the players will take the knee yeah you know and you think to yourself okay so are you saying that because you've been told to are you saying that because you mean it which which or because you want popularity yeah you're kind of Uh, just instinctively grasping at these things and it's all of them it's it's ubiquitous across the across sports commentary um i think i mean i don't watch all sports all the time but i i get the feeling that this this somber note at the top of sports matches where the knee taking the knee is concerned is you know it's always there in the script yeah i think I, i yeah i think i think it has to be there in the script to 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 you know to continue cropping up in the way that it does but it's so unsettling for so many people. Yeah. It's, it's so transparently coerced. Yeah. And it just doesn't belong. There's a lot of people think, I'm, I'm, I include myself in this, that political commentary does not belong in sport commentary. Yeah. Yeah. Well, these, yeah, it's, that's the thing is if you, this is a tough question because, you know, if, if you really view something so terrible as, you know, if, if if you view an issue as being so destructive, then obviously there's a sports is a platform, and you kind of think like you're thinking of yourself as a society, and you're going, are we doing all that we can? Well, if we're not having these very iconic football players spread the message, then we're not doing all that we can, right? So you can kind of see how people fall into it. Then the question becomes, well, is that is this big? you know terrible thing is this black lives matter is this all that it seems to be is there an you know is there an agenda behind it and stuff like that and so here's where you know here's where these problems again i think they it it, it you know you'd be hard pressed to it, it's quite a hard ask in some you know in some cases if you really push that principle to the to its extreme extent to say okay no political statements ever right and you think about something that you believe that was terrible that happened it can become quite hard to justify. And so I think you wonder how much the issue is that the BBC is getting political and more the fact that it is, you know, representing a worldview which, or, you know, you know, give, implying something which is not necessarily true or which is very biased towards certain interests, right? And this is where if you are going to try and be in part, this is why sort of at least being transparent and this is where the BBC, this is where it really starts to undermine itself is because it, part of its benefit, part of its value was that it was that sort of center point. But when there is no center point in a country, then, and it just projects the interests of one group, then it essentially, then there's a real power imbalance, right? And so you wonder, is that the is that the issue or is the issue that the BBC is getting political? Because, you know, political speak, opinion just seeps into seeps into us, whether we like it or not. Right. But I guess, you know, I guess you can caveat that by by, by looking at the specific nature of the way they do it. Right. The, the way that they do drop it into every single sentence. Right. And and certainly. You can kind of. You you can kind of start to see where it is it is a bit more forceful. It's not so it's not so innocent and naive, right? 
when you kind of see just how relentless it is across everything yeah hearing you talk I'm, I'm just forming a um an image in my mind of, of the bbc as like as like an organism with a with a dodgy immune system and it's susceptible to um to, to virus wokeism is is to my mind a virus and, and so part of me knows that it's individuals that drive organizations organizations don't drive themselves although some individuals will, will have you think that they do um, and there's no culpability behind those organizations but we all know that's not the case um, but the BBC is made up of, of individuals and the, the, the buck must stop with them um, if they are narrowing, narrowing the diversity of thought yeah. within the management of that organization to such a degree that it lowers the immune system and then they are um, you know open for attack and that's what happened look, look at the speed going back to the BLM thing in football look at the speed with which that happened one yeah. minute that, that poor bloke George Floyd you know died at the hands of uh, of, of a cop yeah that's a whole different conversation there's a lot to be said around that it's nothing's cut and dry but that's not that's not cut and dry the only thing that's cut and dry about it was it was bloody tragedy yeah, yeah for everyone yeah. involved but um that happened say that happened on the monday you know by the following monday pep guardiola was on a massive screen in a spectatorless etihad stadium supporting black lives matter yeah and that, that followed by the players taking the knee. It was the speed with which the, the BLM virus was enabled to get in there. And then uh, it took over the vital organs and it took over the mouth as well. Yeah. You know, it didn't take over the, the lower echelons of the boardroom where there was people in the boardroom fighting for this new political movement to yeah. be recognised by the organisation. It went straight to the mouthpiece. Yeah. Well, yeah, I think that's I think stuff like that is a bit of a tell again right like that would that have just happened organically <laughs> no like stuff that is organic is when people kind of you know sometimes you hear people talking about we spoke about rebel wisdom once when we've spoken in the past and i remember i was at a web rebel wisdom um one of their talks and they kind of spoke they were sort of like you know and that's and it's one of the reasons why we get you know why we get big problems such as trump right and they're sort of that kind of just slips out they think trump is a bad thing and it's just like implicitly comes out right and that's when that's that's when you're looking at just the sort of a more decentralized phenomena mm. but when things move with such speed and you get someone like pep guardiola talking about things um and you get you get it across all these different you know popping up in all these different places then you realize that okay it has been it has been directed and then the question is well what did that direction look like like is it is the de director general of the bbc is he quite insecure about the BBC's ongoing existence, right? And they're trying to justify and they, they essentially feel at the mercy of the mob. And so perhaps they're kind of trying to get ahead of things and they know what they, they people at this point, after all these years of this culture, this sort of aggressive culture, they probably have some sort of intuition for where they need to go to cover their backs, right? So you could kind of, you could sort of, explain it away like that or you can be a bit more you can you can you can sort of be a bit more cynical and wonder whether you know whether these they want you know they want to divide us and the bbc has very strategically been 
used as a tool for that yeah it has and um and one thing follows another doesn't it because you you get the death of george floyd you get the blm movement um coming to the fore they existed for, for many years before and had outlined what they what their intentions were already you know they yeah. had a manifesto and yeah. they didn't just crop up and then you get place taking the knee you get um, a sage and somber introduction from the commentator then interestingly and i'm I'm really pleased this happened and it, it, it might not have but some fans were allowed back in the stadium and you got the millwall situation yeah where the millwall fans whilst the commentator was giving his somber introduction the millwall fans booed yeah. booed the players taking the knee that that act of dissent was widely lambasted across um, across the media yeah. including the bbc and even my friends and i were talking about it and they it might be something to do with the football thing because they're Millwall fans and they just say oh fucking Millwall they're assholes but I think Millwall kind of appreciate that that yeah that, that sense that people have of them um which is quite humorous but yeah well I, I enjoy that and there was also that Burnley um, there yeah, was that all yeah. as well the guy that flew the, the plane over yeah, yeah. and it, it was it was really interesting how everybody not not only put up with this this fundamental change and this new uh, parallel narrative that football suddenly had, but then they piled on anybody that dissented against it. Yeah. Well, that's the thing is, you you know, with this current media climate where people, there's very little critical thinking that happens. So again, the, 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 the stuff that's implied about events in the world by the BBC seeps into people. And, you know, without them even being particularly political. And so when your average person who's just hearing Martin Tyler or whatnot on Sky Sports being like, you know, has no place in football, you know, stuff like that. Mm. And you're kind of and, you know, you don't, you don't know the context and you kind of, can, you, you know, you can kind of instinctively appreciate that there is still racism around. Mm. And you see a bunch of football fans booing and you see this stuff and you can't not view it from a, in a very low resolution way as like, well these guys must be these guys must be dickheads, right? These guys you know, this you know, you even jump to sort of think of them as racist because you're just viewing it through this very shallow lens. There's two shallow lenses you you could you could view that upon and they're opposing. One is that these blokes are just dickheads. That's kind of a shallow resolution or a low resolution. And and the second one is, you know, well, it's um, it's a free country. People can boo if they like. Yeah. You know, there's not much. We didn't get there's much. Not much inquiry in that, but that's also valid. And but it, that didn't happen. Mostly, yeah. mostly my friends were, oh, yeah, were, yeah. were saying that it's despicable and you shouldn't boo. And, and then when I quizzed a couple of people about it and said, do, do you not think people should be allowed to boo in football stadiums? And they said, not for this. No, I don't. Yeah. Yeah, well, exactly. This gets... So, I if mean, you get, so then you're choosing what you can boo and what you can boo for and what you can't boo for, you know. Yeah, and that's look, a game, that's an unwinnable game. It's, in, it's immutable. Yeah, well, that's the thing, is that you imagine someone, someone let's say, you know, you, you, you then, it's hot, you know, it's important to think about other issues Imagine someone, you know, issues that you agree with, and then you realise how hard it is to, because if someone were to say like, oh, they they were sort of chanting support for Hitler, right, in mm. the stadium, 
you know, you, you 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 now get to the quite fundamental questions about where freedom of speech should you know should fall and stuff like that. I think it should be pretty extreme what's allowed, but you know, it's it's an interesting one because people kind of draw the line because they just have such a clear understanding of the way the world works. And again, these issues they they reflect the lack of consensus more than than in in some ways. And the general characteristics that societies take where in order to function, they need to be agreed upon some particular things and some they need to be agreed upon particular enemies and, and things that you need to fight against. Right. So it so, yeah, then it, you know, these things seeping into football and whatnot, they are problematic. But yeah, I mean, how much? Yeah, again, sometimes you, you consider how much the BBC, whether they're just a reflection of that. Yeah, I think they clearly are a, a, ref, a reflection, but but also I I point out again that the BBC is made up of individuals, and and when you get and, and individuals have their their common characteristics, one of which is the um, how how one can be tempted into being arrogant uh, about the the, um, the ideology of your of your contemporaries. Um, yeah. I mean, the, the DG's a new DG, Tim Davis said recently, and, and this is a, just a small quote. He said, "We are we are far the most trusted provider of news, and when we get it right, as we did so, sorry, as we did so often in these COVID-stricken times." So, I mean, that is fairly arrogant, being as no as though we we have accepted that the data on COVID yeah. does need greater inspection. It's changing all the time. Whereas yeah. this this guy thinks that they got it right so often in these COVID stricken times, you know, where's the data to back that up? Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, it's you know now we get to sort of questions about whether it can actually fill its function because you know they're kind of showing off about that. But interestingly, you know, from what I get, I get my news so to speak from from Twitter mainly, and you compare the narratives where you know between twitter and well not just twitter i get it from just general turn to media right and i was much quicker than anyone else than the bbc to kind of think shit to this covid thing sounds like a big deal right mm-hmm. so i was one of the first people in my family and stuff saying okay we should really take this seriously and i was taking it very seriously but then well <laughs> whilst the bbc is still kind of going oh so there's one case and this that and the other and then <laughs> but then later on in the year when you start to kind of think, ha, ah, this seems to be really overhyped now, hmm. then you then then the sort of network was also much quicker to kind of start see through it. So the you know so this I think they need to project that that's part of their brand, right, as being some sort of authority. They need they they need to in order to justify their existence, they need to kind of tell that story and say that we are kind of on the money around the news and stuff like that but because otherwise you, you know you, you start you know you start having conversations like we're having now about whether it needs to exist and that's yeah and so it's quite striking but i don't see they have any other choice without having to fundamentally change what they do well that's the thing isn't it because you could say that um their narrative on covid was in step with um, that which the government wanted wanted to put out exactly but that that's not what we want what we've established in this conversation that's not what we want 
from the BBC, that's not being impartial. That's yeah. not that that's being biased toward a group of individuals again, which the government are, and uh, they have their theories. Um, yeah. They could have taken the, the other tack. They could have said, no, we're here to represent a cross section of feeling and opinion in this country. And we're going to have X, Y and Z scientists on. We're going to have X, Y and Z social scientists on, psychologists. And we're going to really build up a picture of how COVID, it, we're going to track it by all these different um, diversity of opinions and also we're going to ref- reflect back to the country what it's doing to us you yeah. know, in real time and they yeah. failed on on both those counts yeah 100 percent. and so then you you know so it certainly seems that they are putting one view across i think everyone can see that now so then you know this opens up a few interesting points because firstly you you wonder Kind of whether this was always the case, or what you know, so in or whether whether this was always the case, whether it's more recent limitation. I mean, with regard to it being a recent limitation, you'd think that one of the advantages that the BBC has over other media outlets, right, in that they, yes, I'm sure they need to worry about clicks and whatnot, but their what their kind of fundamental business wasn't turned upside down in the way that other media outlets were, right? So. I'm reading this book called News from Nowhere and you know the guy talks about how in this drive to cut costs news gathering is one of the most expensive operations right so what news companies had to do start doing is going okay well instead of sending camera crews around the world let's just we, we are an authority and I think they you know, they see this subliminally or they probably speak about this in the boardroom but they are their brand is around authority the news because back in the day they were the people with the facts they were the only people who could get any information when information was scarce but today it's more abundant and so now they need Mm. to be seen as as an authority but they can't do that by just spreading facts because everyone's got the facts the facts come out first on twitter and then and then institutions like the bbc need to do need to do curation now for these new media companies who are trying to keep up their revenues they're they're kind of thinking well firstly let's we'll not keep up their revenue keep up their business model keep up their profit so firstly let's cut any news gathering we can just outsource it but secondly because in order to justify existence as an authority we need to start we need to start kind of weaving narrative together right mm-hmm. we need to start having resonance with people because that's how we get the clicks to get the revenue um, and he gives us one example how it used to be frowned upon that that news organizations would hire experts because they would often have vested interests. So for example, a military general would come on or former military general and he, he would be like on the board of a, of a defense contractor and he'd be asked about the war and Iraq war. And he'd be saying on the news, well, we need to get more fighter planes out there. Right. Um, And so they they need to go to these experts to justify their brands as an authority. They need to weave. To, they also need to weave together um, narratives to kind of get clicks, and they naturally this this tends them towards more controversy. Now you'd think that in some ways the BBC is is immune to some of these things, so it might be better weathered. But then you again you go back to your point and you look at the way that they have approached COVID, and it's so narrow um, that. For for whatever reason, it's it's really it's incredibly inept at the moment. Yeah, it is it is inept. It's not fit for purpose. 
Um, and it's for many people, I think it's damaged the brand of the BBC even more. And having read the statement by Tim Davies, who took over as DG, I think it was during COVID, but it was certainly several months ago. There's a lot of positivity and a, and a lot of talk about renewing impartiality. And I, I just I just don't see it. I think that watching a and listening to a channel like talk radio yeah and the ding-dongs they have on there which not only are entertaining but it it, what it means is if you've got presenters who are at at odds with their guests that's that's the diversity of thought yeah and if you if you're getting the decent guests on who have a pedigree um which which you really should um, that's your obligation as a as a broadcaster and to do your back, background checks and introduce them and possibly bring anything up that is in the public's mind about that particular person within the interview. If you're doing that and you're disagreeing with them, then, then that's diversity of thought. Yeah. And um, I go back to someone like James Dellingpole, who was uh, the last time he was on, I think probably mainstream TV, was on the um, the nightly no, it wasn't nightly, but it was in the evening. The Andrew Neil news program mm. was it called at night or this night or something like this week, I think. And and Andrew Neil just uh, just ambushed him. Yeah. You, you know, to, and you hear James talk about it. Um, they said to James, do you want to come on? Do you want to talk about the WTO, etc.? And they and he said, yeah, yeah, I'll come on and talk about it. And Andrew Neil wanted all kinds of specifics, which he which he, he he knows James. You know, he's the the editor of uh, the Spectator, who at the time James um, wrote for, and it was it, apart from being a bit rude and um, and not great telly, it was just disappointing. It it it, it was yeah. pointless or almost to, to to have James on, um, yeah. and so he I mean he does I don't think he wants to go on anymore anymore, but certainly nothing's invited on. And ironically, they they've been Andrew Neil now, haven't they? Yeah. Yeah, even though he is still in the grand scheme of things, he's still pretty conformist yeah. status quo. But I'm not to the, the the man himself, but within the structure of the program, um, that is that is engendered by the culture of the BBC that he yeah. had to work with. The, yeah, the artifice of that of that program wouldn't allow Andrew, I don't think, to do a proper interview with James. It it was almost uh, his mode in in that program was uh, attack yeah well that's the thing like that would be very powerful to people right so given again bbc is our home it represents our voice um looking at are you there by the way i'm here oh sorry sorry so okay yeah so in terms of the bbc is seen as the home right and it's supposed to represent a balanced take on things Mm -hmm. now when you have an institution like the BBC and you have someone like Andrew Neil performing a role and sort of going at someone like a Delling pole that really damages the Brexit argument. Right now you could argue that, and again, here's where you get into these discussions because then you start going, well, is there a strong Brexit argument? If there was a terrible Brexit argument, why would you want, why would you not represent it as terrible? Um, And again, this is what happens when you try and have a general you try and have a sort of general consensus in a world where people do just view the world very differently 
and where they are operating in different realities. And again, in such an in such an instance, the BBC just becomes a super weapon, a powerful weapon for for whoever whoever's really in control of it. It was interesting with the Brexit debate because I read uh, there was a book called um, it was about Brexit anyway by Shipman. I, I can't remember his name. I was going to say Harold Shipman. <laughs> That's the wrong one. And you had people in, Roma- in the Remain camp whining about the BBC, saying that they tried to give it impartial, mm. not impartial. And I was kind of a Remainer at that point. I was going, yeah, this is, you know, it is, you know, the BBC, how can you give, if you're trying to, you know, giving a balanced take shouldn't be giving equal platform to a mass murderer and to a nun, right? Giving them 50% or, you know. Should it be that, or should it actually be trying to give a, re- a represent, a, you know, representative take on the, you know, the respective merits of different positions, right? Mm. And so it's just interesting where you kind of have people on both sides whining uh, about the BBC. Do you think that they, that the BBC think they tried to give a balanced representative I, I, view, I, and but they were, they just weren't able they weren't ideologically able to do so but they, they couldn't see that yeah I, I don't know if it's ideologically capable um so much as just like anthrop- anthropologically right like that is just the way they see the world and you know in terms of people's balance you know people could be balanced in the way that they approach a conversation but their view can be very extreme depending on how they make sense of the world and stuff like that so I can't. I do believe that everyone in the BBC really does think they're doing a great thing, and that I do think that many of them probably tried. I think, given we're getting a bit more divided now, you probably had some of them it bubbling up below, you know, above their level of consciousness that they knew that they were sort of they were kind of aware they wanted to push it in a particular direction. But I imagine, on balance, I think they take great pride in that. I just don't think you can have in a world that is becoming more and more fragmented because of the mediascape now where it's so cheap for anyone to put a voice out there it just means that there is all this all this conflicting information out there and so it because it just becomes kind of impossible for anyone to to put a thread together put to, you know to put a thread through that um without alienating some portion so i just yeah i i, I just don't think they can i don't think an institution like that can um the only thing it can do really and perhaps always did is just represent the interests of the establishment right and that's the only thing it can do so it can create order but only if you you couple it with totalitarianism right mm-hmm. um, where but where you know without if you assume no totalitarianism then it's not going to create it's not going to create that order um you, you know you, you compare the bbc to something like joe rogan and I was thinking about this, and there are some differences, but one of the main ones is Joe Rogan doesn't speak for people who occupy the same territory, right, and have to abide by the same laws, right? So his his voice is the implications of his authority are slightly less significant, right? Even though he has a huge reach and he's influenced lots of people. So yeah, I, I it, this is where it's a tough question and. It just you wonder whether and this gets to a more general question of well do you, what happens at the societal level right do you want order or do you want things to fragment do you, you know do you want order and and censorship and um police enforcing narratives around covid right 
um, in line with kind of the story the BBC are telling, um, or do you want you know, do you want all these competing narratives and this and this chaos? Because I yeah I just don't it just cannot do that anymore. It cannot. It's not it's not place to be a arbiter. Uh, well, not to be an arbiter. It's not place to be a sort of distributor of facts because they're always out there. And can it can it really do a consensus better than the alternative media sphere? Can it do a, represent a cross section better than the alternative media sphere? No, there's no there's no way that it can, right? It you know you're still in this fragmented situation. You still need, I think, some curation is good, right? But you need to be realistic about the authority that you provide the curator right mm. and given the beat that the authority the bbc has giving it any sort of you know such authority that the bbc has i don't think you know i don't think you, you can wield you can give that power in the hands of a curator i mean there's not given the way that it works now there's little apart from budget that differs BBC from any other producer out there. Well, okay, they have more budget so they can do more sophisticated research and whatnot. But really, when you continue, when you consider what's happening on the broader scale, um, it can't, you know, it can't even do that. It can't even, it can't even um, curate in a in a sort of reliable way. Um, it can't represent different people in a, in a, in a way in a way in a better way than they would be already represented. The only thing it can do is use whatever authority it has left to reinforce any narrative that the people that control it um, want to, you know, want to enforce. Now, this kind of again goes to one of my main issues with the BBC is, you know, if you consider that every society has a ruling class and such, and a big institution in any given society is not gonna, is not gonna really deviate from the interests of the ruling class so much then you have to kind of wonder you know then you then the question becomes well what are the interests of the ruling class and stuff like that right so perhaps in the in the past the reason the bbc worked for us is because they wanted a cohesive nation right because they wanted us to go to war they wanted us to they wanted us to be behind the, the troops when they're out there in germany they wanted this they wanted freedom they wanted freedom of thought because there was the money came from a service economy where they needed you know, they needed people to be well educated and whatnot and so the bbc reinforced this now so now we look at the bbc and we look at it essentially putting forward a perspective which which benefits powerful globalists at the expense of the people um, and then you wonder has the bbc changed you know we talk about it being on fit on, on fit for purpose but you know is it just being is it just that it's doing the same thing it ever did um you know world war ii and covid right well if you believe the narrative around covid then they're doing a world war ii function right now they create so but they can't create order anymore because because the information is the information sphere is fragmented but how do we know that the world war ii was good anymore how do we know that it wasn't just propaganda for for sort of elite banker interests right to to get support behind a war how do we know that anymore so we talk about bbc being good in the past but do how do we know that the war was a good thing um and you look you, you know you fast forward to today and we realize that what's happening around covid what's happening around brexit what's happening with this cultural war stuff is not good for the average person and so then you just wonder what well, are you know this does this merely reflect the fact that our incentives are different to theirs now the ruling class actually want 
they kind of want to they want to pursue globalist things in which case breaking national fabric bringing you know sort of starting to critique the empire and whatnot for better or for worse whether it was a good thing or bad thing you know you see the you see the function that plays and so yeah i mean given how what a potent tool it is it's you know in 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 it continued to in, in you know in its continual continued existence it's literally just serving to decimate the country so you know i think that's an important thing is in the past perhaps it was just a question of our incentives were aligned and today our incentives aren't aligned and so the bbc is being shown for what it always was which was a big part you know big institution to foster to to program the people in the way that the ruling classes saw fit yeah um made some really great points there and to, are, are we then presented with not the question of is the bbc worth saving but the question of can the bbc be saved yeah well this is yeah you know this is a uh, yeah this i suppose this is a philosophical question i mean from my perspective it has to go because it is so it still carries such weight even people that don't you know even people that don't really see it but even people that are kind of critical of it they still you know i still log into bbc sport right um and i know to tune out of any of the implicit but it's so embedded it's so implicit in it it permeates the culture war and, and the covid fear-mongering and whatnot it permeates everything that you know you can't you can't really you can't really avoid it and it is so potent i mean i think you know noam chomsky says something like that any boundaries of debate that you get within a sort of media ecosystem so when you actually have a debate within the context let's say between you have different views you have fox news and cnn or you have just a debate happening on the bbc when they debate fervently about anything what that serves to do is to highlight the consensus that they have right mm -hmm. so if you have for example on the bbc people talking about how covid is a deadly threat and you have people chewing each other's necks off about whether lockdown is a or lockdown is a good thing or not even though it's been pretty it's been pretty one-sided on lockdown then all that goes to do is to at a subliminal level make people realize oh well this co you know without even realizing it they are programmed to believe that covid is such a powerful thing right and so um such a dangerous thing and it's i just think it's so it's so destructive now and it might not be you know maybe it's not the bbc's fault it just i i don't yeah i, I don't think i think the only thing people that can be saved for is people that go you know what i don't want to deal with any chaos i think we should just have order and so and i think having the bbc try and give as great of as you know as balanced a take as it can within within whatever boundaries need to be set to keep society functional you know then maybe you could then maybe you might have a case for it right when you're moving away from the should to the can but if you are if you do not like the interests that you know that the powerful putting out you know i don't think the bbc can do anything other than than represent them right um so so yeah no, I, I i i'm pretty pretty made up on this as you can as you might be mm. able to tell from <laughs> my channel name not the bbc yeah 
yeah not the bbc on youtube um well i agree with you of course but but i also think there's an element of throwing the baby out of the bathwater here um and it's probably because i do have nostalgia for the for the bbc and you know and nostalgia is is love isn't it it's um it's the love for something that, that was, once was there and you still feel it in many ways. Still, I've still watched reruns of things. Um, so I think that the, the BBC is, is not going away anytime soon in its current form. And it's almost like we're going to have to live with a gammy leg, if you know what I mean. Yeah. You, know, you know, it's it's going it, to we're going to drag it around. It's, we're going to limp with it. But and it's not going to get better. Um, but we're going to have to live with it anyway. So. To, for me that that's just that says to me that I, that I need be a bit more positive about the possibilities of of a transformation and, and a reformation that doesn't look likely at the moment albeit the proclamations of um the new director general when he says things like what i've got here he said on impartiality we urgently need to champion and recommit to impartiality. It is deliverable and it is essential. If you work here, nothing should be more exciting than exploring different views, seeking evidence with curiosity and create creatively presenting testimony, making use of our own experiences, but not driven by our personal agendas. I wonder if some people worry that impartiality could be a little dull. I, let me read that last bit again. The director general says to his staff, in the weeks after taking over i wonder if some people worry as in the public that impartiality could be a little dull well that's interesting because <laughs> you know that kind of shows in it kind that kind of speaks to the current media context that we're in right where in order to kind of get any attention you need to you need to have a you need to have an opinion yeah he's given the game away right there Exactly. Um, and it shows, you know, I asked the question earlier whether they might be sort of somewhat sheltered from from some of the forces that other people, that other that commercial institutions. But I think that kind of shows that it is playing on his mind. Yeah. But I mean, I just don't I know you're saying that throw the baby out with the bathwater and whatnot. But I just think that, you know, even if they try and, you know, they are going to do it now. Right. They know they're under threat and they're going to come back and, you know, they're going to on some comedy they'll do some woke jokes right making fun of woke people but again they're never going to then if you believe it depends what you believe i believe that the biggest issue we have is we don't have a balance of power anymore that small number of people have now got so globally have got such disproportionate power and they always had it financially um i'm reading this book creature from jekyll island talking about the the founding of the federal reserve and there was 10 bankers that went to that meeting and they had 25% of the world's wealth. <laughs> so mm. what you had, what you now have is you have this cultural, this monoculture that's basically, you know, which globalization, and this is what makes me suspicious about the wars, <laughs> but what, um, which um, globalization facilitated, right? And now you really have, and then you have this, now you have all the industry around software. So you have this massive imbalance of power um, and and the BBC is so, is just a weapon for the people that control it, and the people that control it are people that are associated with the government. And 
given the way that these powerful people, given the way that they have a say in who gets elected and whatnot, at the fundamental level, they're never going to say anything that seriously undermines it. They're never going to, they're never going to, they're never going to criticize lockdowns, vaccines. They're not going to, you know, they're, they're not going to do that. And they don't need to. They just allow, they just need to allow those that may have opposing arguments on, you know, to have a voice. They don't need, yeah, but they don't, they don't. That, that's they don't need to do anything all they need to do as you said before oh, is right. curate curate correctly yeah and um, in line with their um their, their statement i mean you go on the, the gov website about the bbc and the, there's one there's one sentence it says the bbc's main responsibility is to provide impartial public service broadcasting in the uk that's its main function that's its mission statement yeah. all it needs to do is try its hardest to do that yeah yeah it needs to try and but you know trying might be trying is obviously a relative concept right and so they might and i'm sure they will try and they might say okay like i said we're going to have more debate around woke and stuff like that but again all that goes to do is reinforce anything that is not questioned and not challenged and it will and so that can kind of serve i think that will just go to serve as a smoke and mirrors for anything right so to, to alleviate some of the pressure and people go oh no so they are balanced now okay so they are still saying that um they are still saying that lockdown is the only option that we still our kids should wear masks from school they are still implying that that is the only thing the only thing we can do well maybe that is right you know because i mean they've kind of now won my affection again because they sort of joke they sort of took the piss out of some social justice warriors on a new bbc3 program so Look, it's not, you know, every anything, any institution will always rep- represent the incentives of the people who control it, right? So it's not, it's not, you know, you're not criticizing necessarily the people that work there or whatever. You're just asking yourself now, given if we do have some kind of say in its continued existence, is it, um, yeah, like it, it can't be, it given the, given, I mean, this is my opinion, right? Given the imbalance of power that we have, it we, it's like if you are if you're being battered by an enemy and you have a chance to take one of their best weapons away, you're not going to sort of you know let them have it. And I think that's kind of the situation that we're in. Yeah, I think that's a good way to to sum things up. Actually, I think we've covered a, quite quite a bit of ground on on this topic. There's probably more to say. There's more thinking to be done. There's more observing to be to be done. And the situation is changing. They do have a new DG. You never know. In a year's time, let's 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 do another one and yeah. and see where the BBC is um, and see if the, the demise has has um, sped up or if it's looking like it's going to do its uh, fulfill its functions. Let's let's maybe do that, Seb. What do you think? No, definitely. I mean, it'll be interesting, you know, I'm keen to test some of my assumptions and stuff and maybe they maybe they can do it. But yeah, and maybe they can do a better job than they have been now. That will still be interesting. Right. They might, you know, perhaps they can they can improve even if, um, you know, maybe at best or at least the poison will be slightly less diluted. <laughs> uh, yeah, slightly. I'm 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 hopeful. I remain a bit hopeful. Yeah. Um, because the way alternative and decentralized media is going, there there will be 
there would be no chance. I mean, look, look at you and I uh, and the people that um, we listen to on YouTube. There's there's it's we've got a lot of commonalities between who we listen to and who we've gone to even before you and I spoke. When yeah. we did speak, we're, we're aware we're in the same information sphere. Yeah. Um, and and whether we like it or not, it's that, you know, it's delineated and we are we are in, in an enclave. Um, yeah. And say we, for, for instance, if if we all got together and we had a studio, what would happen is what's happened to trigonometry. There's people that just do not want to talk to those lads from yeah. the left. They don't want to talk to them. At least the BBC, even if it doesn't know it, has the opportunity to have to still have one person from one side and one person from the other side on either back to back or with each other or in back to back programs they can shoot still share that space whereas decentralized media is not going in in that way so i'm hopeful that the bbc can pull its bloody socks up may yeah maybe but you know decentralized media people still serve that function like if you think about our side of things like you know something like a deling poll I just think, yeah, I think it's more like you, you still something like a Delling pole serves as like a center point, right? And it's just, I guess you're more it, it, you're more relative about what the different sides of the argument look like, right? Um, so maybe yes, maybe the BBC can get you know trigonometry can't get certain people on, but I think it's kind of in some ways it's just you know it's a reflection of the world that people live in, you know and and we, I think we're we're all living in smaller and smaller worlds now, so that um, yeah, I, I kind of think that we that you do actually see these things happening, that you do see around YouTube channels that do live streams every night, you do see these communities forming around them, and they come in and they tune in every every Friday, right? Mm-hmm. That, so you still you still do see media serving the function that the BBC does, right? You still, Joe Rogan again, right? He sort of, he serves as that function. If you, you want to know, like, I imagine after the, the election and all the controversy in the US, a bunch of people tuned in to, be, to Joe Rogan, right? To kind of get a feel for his take on it. And so I do think there is a, yeah, I think there is a function that it still happens in decentralized media. It's more just the fact that we're kind of, breaking up into more decentralized tribes right mm. but maybe you know but i think you know you could still you could still argue that um the bbc can maybe reach out because of its authority because of its brand perhaps it can reach out across a wider spread and given that we all still for better or for worse <laughs> have to abide by the same laws you know maybe there is a function there as i've said i'm yeah as i've said i'm just i'm very skeptical of that because i just think that i do think that it's controlled that it's just rep, it's a it's a representative of ru- ruling class interests and i do think they don't want the best for us and so i i can't i can't move past that but yeah i, I, I get I, you i do I, get you you definitely appreciate your point and it is a valid point that they can they can achieve a broader reach than even like a joe rogan could right merely yeah. because because of this this you know this brand that they have and this this trust equity which at the moment is is i think we both agree is going to waste yeah okay well let's let's do this again 
next year and we'll have a we'll have a recap and have a chat about it yeah maybe you know maybe i will work for the bbc maybe i would have ditched not the bbc (laughs) (laughs) yeah new dg that'd be fun (laughs) seb great to talk to you mate i really enjoyed that good stuff we'll speak to you soon speak soon